0: This episode is brought to you by NCMM, the National Coalition of Ministries to Men.
1: If I couldn't find peace and happiness by being successful and making a lot of money, how was I ever going to find it?
0: That's Ward Brim, successful businessman turned award-winning humanitarian author and speaker. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hi, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we want to welcome you to the Bold Idea Podcast, where we're going to put your faith to work. Well, we're not going to do it, but we want to inspire you to do it. Put your faith to work. Bring out that bold idea that God has inside of you. And we have another great guest in store for us today.
2: That's right. This guy is... A living hero of mind he's a living legend this guy's doing more than i think he ever even thought he would uh in places in the world that he never thought he'd go and it's just a fascinating story i'm so excited for people who have not heard of him to meet him today
0: and we are talking to ward Brem today he's the former founder of a national insurance consulting firm the Brem group but he is a leader in african humanitarian efforts he's a nationally known public speaker In 2004, he was appointed chairman of the United States African Development Foundation by President Bush and then reappointed in 2010 by President Obama to serve in that same capacity. In 2008, he was awarded the Presidential Citizenship Medal. That's the country's second highest civilian honor for his work in Africa. And uh, he is also the author of three books. His first book, Life Through a Different Lens About Africa and White Men Walking, also about Africa. And now his third and latest book, Bigger Than Me, Just When I Thought I Had All the Answers, God Changed the Questions, (laughs) and that was released this month. And we want to welcome to the program, Ward Bram.
1: Thank you, Larry. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure.
0: We've been looking forward to this conversation and uh, love to get into your new book. But uh, you have been, um, well, you really led led a pretty fascinating life here. You've uh, been a career uh, business person, well accomplished, I would say. And, uh, and now in the humanitarian effort, applying a lot of stuff with regard to, um, helping the situation in Africa. So we want to hear about that as well, but give us, before we dive into all that, give us a little background on your personal life. How did you grow up? What, what shaped you as a person?
1: Well, I was uh, I was highly fortunate to grow up in uh, Edina, Minnesota, an affluent suburb of Minneapolis, to two wonderful parents who loved me unconditionally. Actually, most of my life, I I thought everybody had parents like that, but I've I've learned that that's somewhat of a rarity. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, I was a bit of a troublemaker my whole life, arguably a juvenile delinquent. <laughs> I, I
0: was. All right, uh, now you piqued Armin's interest for sure. Did. <laughs> certainly
1: did. But it was wonderful, because my parents kept saying, "Why is this wonderful boy doing all these naughty things?" And you know <laughs> that unconditional rub really set the stage uh, for me i I went into business right after uh, college I took to it uh, uh, I took to it like a fish to water uh, i found it I found it relatively easy uh, for me to to accomplish my goals i was uh, like a lot of young people, you know, focus totally on success. Uh, and when, I'm totally, when you're totally focused on success, you're totally focused on yourself. And I think that that is, while I think it's normal and arguably even healthy for a young person starting out on their career to be as successful as they can, it, was, it wasn't until I was 40 years old, uh, having spent uh, about 15 years in the business world where I'd accomplished all the goals that I'd, that I'd made, uh, at a relatively young age, and yet uh, I felt robbed. I I I, I felt uh, as though I had done everything that I could possibly do to create happiness, and at the age of forty, I had what uh, some people have described as a smoldering discontent. <laughs> uh, it wasn't cracked up to to be what it was, and it and it actually caused a bit of panic because. If I couldn't find peace and happiness through uh, the only way that I knew up to that date, through through by being successful and creating, making a lot of money and doing all the things the world tells us to do, uh, how was I ever going to find it?
2: What uh, were you unhappy about, Ward?
1: It wasn't necessarily unhappy. It was just this sense that something was missing in my life. And I... Uh, uh, it was very interesting. I, I had read the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Sure. And you have to understand that when I read this book, I didn't read it. I, I didn't buy it to read to, to learn anything. I just wanted to make sure he got them all right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, did he? I mean, uh, we want to know, did he?
1: <laughs> well, not only that, but he really intrigued me with this idea of paradigms, that two people can view the same things exactly the same way. Uh, can, can see the exact same situation and come away with two totally different perspectives. And I started playing in my mind whether or not you could actually do a paradigm change on purpose. Could you manufacture one, you know, versus a death of a child or divorce or usually traumatic things uh, are, are what causes a, a lifetime paradigm shift. And it just occurred to me there was a famine in Somalia at the time. Uh, tens of thousands of people were dying. It really didn't mean anything to me. Those statistics, it's hard to to make sense of those statistics for anyone, but I thought in my mind that if, in fact, I saw someone die of starvation, that that would probably change my paradigm on famine, and maybe more, and then that thought left as quickly as it came in, and, and it was a week later, I met my pastor, Arthur Rauner, at the Colonial Church in Edina, and... Out of the blue, I'm a very infrequent uh, attendee at church at the time. He uh, greeted me, said it was great to have me back and asked me to go to Africa. And, Welcome and, back. Go to Africa. It was really interesting. I said, uh, gosh, it's unbelievable you're asking me to go because I was just thinking about Somali. What a coincidence. And, uh, but no, I'm not going to go to Africa with you.
2: <laughs> Thanks for asking.
1: <laughs> and then he said, uh, "He, he said, well, would you pray about it? And I looked him right in the eye and I said, Arthur, you're the minister. You, pay, you pray about it. I'm just going to think about it. I'll, I'll either go or not. I had no idea why anyone would at that point in my life? Why anyone would actually pray about something versus rather just make the decision yourself? And that that was the uh, beginning of what I call the great humbling. That first trip to Africa.
0: That that's the inflection point in your life. You call the great humbling. Mm-hmm. Right, that's great. So tell me about your faith experience before that point. You said you're an infrequent churchgoer, and it was the pastor's role to do the prayer. Uh, to to what's, what happened after that in terms of the transformation that you went through as a believer?
1: Well, I think to the first part of your question, uh, up until that point, I was, in retrospect, a cultural Christian. If someone asked me what religion I was, I'd say I'm a Christian. If somebody asked me what role Jesus played in my life, I'd say, well, I'm not, I'm not carried away like some of those nutty people. <laughs> <laughs> So it really was a cultural thing. <clears throat> there was no relationship with Jesus. There was really no uh, heartfelt uh, connection. It was just, uh, you know, like I had my Boy Scout badge and I got my Christian badge. <clears throat> when, I, when I went to Africa, everything changed. Um, <clears throat> I saw some things, I saw poverty on an obscene level. <clears throat> I saw little kids going blind with flies on their eyes for lack of a 50 cent medicine. I held the hand of a little girl, 21 years old, who had four children in Masaka, Uganda. She died from AIDS. And then looked up into the, you know, these eyes of these four totally bewildered orphans and something inside me just broke. Um, and I realized <clears throat> that this was real. That, that, that these people weren't statistics. They were real people and they also didn't have a voice. They had no advocate. And so my, my faith uh, journey really started out as a fierce advocate on behalf of the extreme poor. And it probably wasn't until a year later that I realized that all that time uh, Jesus was working in my life. Uh, uh, and really became, became a total follower of his. I spent about <clears throat> probably 10 Maybe the first five years of my work in Africa, building uh, wind pumps, bringing groups of business people over to experience the same things that I had, and make it real for them, and and did a whole number, of, a whole lot of projects and a whole lot of things. And then in 1995, Senator David Dernberger invited me to the National Prayer Breakfast, uh, and I was overwhelmed with this notion that the best way to help poor people is to is to help them is to change the hearts of the leaders. You change the hearts of the leaders of these countries in Africa, you can change the country in a very short period of time. And so the focus of my work changed again, and that was to uh, travel with uh, Senator uh, Durenberger a number of times, Senator Grams a few times, um, uh, Senior uh, Judge Paul Magnuson a few times, uh, the people with a lot of political influence that allowed us to meet these leaders and then work with them. Uh, on uh, developing uh, these small groups that meet actually in the United States Senate every Wednesday, about 30 to 40 senators meet. Nobody knows about it, but uh, all parties, all denominations, all religions meet together and pray around the principles and precepts of Jesus. So we we tried to spread that message uh, in places like Burundi and Rwanda where you had Hutu and Tutsi conflicts. Uh, and tribal differences in a lot of these different countries, where you're bringing people that are supposedly enemies together around Jesus, and and, and to see what Jesus does with that has been totally amazing.
0: So during this period, after going to Africa and having your eyes awakened, I guess you you said it, it, it became real for you the the plight of the of the poor and and those impoverished over there, and and I've heard that from so many people that have gone to africa that it's basically this life transforming process but it was deeper for you too because you made that connection to the role of jesus in your life and that personal relationship with him how did that occur to you i mean when did how did you discover that you were going deeper in your relationship with god as a consequence of that
1: like I say, I, I I was uncomfortable with the group that first trip because they're all reading Bibles and they're holding hands and they're doing all these things totally foreign with me. And it was actually around a bonfire in northern Ethiopia uh, where I finally I finally surrendered. I finally said, I, I I'm I'm seeing things that I can't process. I'm seeing things far bigger than myself. I'm seeing uh, hardship and poverty on an uh, overwhelming scale, I don't know what to do about it, and I, it was really one of my first sincere prayers uh, uh, to God was, I don't know why I'm here. Uh, everybody's talking about you, so I'm gonna just devote the rest of this trip to you. You can do anything you want. You can, you can uh, have me eat this terrible food, you can, you can put me in, in, in places of peril, and for the balance of this trip I'm going to just give it all to you and I experience, literally experienced the peace that transcends all understanding hmm. uh, it was a five week trip uh, and it was I, I didn't want to come home did your uh, wife go with you on that trip? I, no no I just again I went by myself there were a couple of business buddies that were supposed to go and then they bailed and so I was with a group uh, again just totally unrelated I had a very hard time relating at first you know there were for lack of a better word, there are you know a number of church ladies and 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 people that that just weren't in my world of, of business. Yeah, and and I think the whole dynamic of being outside my comfort zone opened me up to the fact that I've been living my entire life solely for myself, mm. and that the only thing on my radar screen was Ward Brim and my family and our little needs, and I was leading a very, very small life in comparison to this to this magnificent opportunity uh, to do good around the world uh, uh, in the name of Jesus. You know, I'd heard of Jesus up to that point, but I didn't know who he was. Um, I mean, I knew, I'm, I knew of him. I didn't know him, and uh, he kind of snuck up on me in Africa.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you really, literally, did have a life changing experience in the course of this, the five weeks that you were gone. So here, I'm curious about this because, in in one, in, at the beginning of your trip, your wife is saying so long to you or goodbye, or, have farewell <laughs> on your trip, and and then when you came back, you you came back transformed. How did how would she see or describe you, the before and after
1: ward? Well, she couldn't believe it. She's had a strong faith since the age of 17. So the few times I went to church, you know, it was basically being coerced by her to go, to go <laughs> along. Yeah. When I called her from New York, we flew from, we ended up flying from Johannesburg to New York and I called her and, and she's laughing. She's going, I can't even believe you actually went on this trip. You know, how was it? Are you just happy to be back? And I said, Chris, if I had a one way ticket back to Africa, I'd be on that plane. Mm-hmm. And 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 she saw the changes immediately in me when I when I came home. Uh, you know, if I I write in the book a chapter called Can God Change a Jerk? And <laughs> I, love and I that. was a jerk. I was just so full of myself. I knew everything. I was arrogant. There were all these things I but it was in, invisible to me. And when I came back I hadn't taken a self-help course. God had gotten a hold of my life and all of a sudden I had things I'd never had before like patience and empathy uh and a, a humble spirit. I asked more questions than I than I gave answers. It was I was a different person.
2: Ward, I'm curious uh and I don't mean to backtrack here but that five-week experience that you had in Africa—do you have a specific story that you could share of a significant spiritual event that took place?
1: I would say, uh, I would say two. Uh, the first was holding that young woman's hand as she died of AIDS uh, in Masaka, which 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 literally broke my heart. The second was up in Anseolia Valley, Ethiopia. We were we were. Uh, Driving along this dusty road and there was a little girl on the side of the road, spectacularly beautiful she was four years old, and she had this this ridiculous load on her back of of cut firewood the the twine rope that she had bound around her little chest was was literally cutting into her chest and I got out of the car and I approached her she was scared to death she was you know shaking like a little like a little baby deer and I uh looked into her eyes she was the same age as my child Mm -hmm. and the question why why is my sarah living the life that she is and this little girl uh living the life literally of a of a farmyard animal um and it was it was that question and is it fair is this is this is this just a general sense of fairness and and that really, I think, was the, uh, I think that was Jesus. I think I was looking into the eyes of Jesus. It really, it, 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 it connected to me in a way that was mysterious and profound, and it's really actually hard to describe, but it changed my life.
2: What do you think Jesus said to you in that moment?
1: I got a lot, I've got a lot of things that I could have you, I, that you and I could partner up on that would be an awful, that'd be, that would be much bigger than you, and it will also be a lot of fun. Hmm. so uh if, if, to the extent that you decide to follow me you know i'm a i'm a two hands on the wheel guy actually i'm a no I actually i'm a no hands on the wheel guy <laughs> stirred with my knees drinking coffee but but I basically at some point in time uh made the decision that that uh in my own way to submit to uh, have Jesus be the co-pilot. Put Jesus in charge of the controls, and that—that's—that's that's hard to do. It's kind of scary, especially for a controlling guy like me.
0: Yeah, you were—you reminded me of a. Have a bumper sticker. Actually, I saw on a car. You've seen the bumper stickers that say "God is my copilot," right? Right. And right. on this, on the same bumper, I kid you not, on the same bumper, on the other side, it says "Don't follow me. I don't know where I'm going." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, my, you, you, my, so my guessing- wife, my wife, a two couple years later after that first trip, she was commenting to me. She's pretty chintzy on the compliments, but she said, "You know, gosh, word. It seems as though." you and Jesus have become partners lately. Yeah. Yep. And I said, gee, you know, that sounds good. You know, she goes, the only problem is you're the managing partner. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: so she <always>
0: gets me. <laughs> you know, that's so true for all of us, right? We like to, you know, kind of say we want Jesus to be at our side, but follow our lead. You know, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. How, how am I? How do you like this, Jesus? Wait till you see this yeah. one.
0: You're, you're, <laughs> right? you're going to be proud of what I came up for us to do. <laughs>
1: right. Well, I'm glad, I'm
0: glad that I'm not the only one. <laughs> oh Well, no, you're not. Trust me. Okay, Ward, let's talk about your new book. It is Bigger Than Me. Just when I thought I had all the answers, God changed the questions. I love the subtitle because I think he does that all the time. Um, who did you write this book for?
1: I originally wrote it for my children. I've got a I've got a number of serious uh uh medical I I've, I've got a I've got a compromised life expectancy. I'm 60. I've had I've had 66 terrific years and based on on some medical conditions that I that I have uh uh I hope to live longer than you guys, but uh chances are I won't. So uh my I don't have any grandchildren yet and it occurred to me that if I if if I were to die that day that, that I would leave all my wisdom on the table. So that what I really do is I wanted to put to paper for my children and my unborn grandchildren every bit of wisdom uh, uh, on subjects that oftentimes aren't discussed. You know, topics like uh, mortality and death, uh, money, uh, greed. Stewardship, legacy, uh, ego, self-absorption—all uh, the things that I felt were really, really important. That if I, if they, that if I were dying, I would say to my kids. And I put into uh, this uh, the the original book, which was more of a memoir, and then it, it really morphed due to the encouragement of some friends that say this this actually should be a this should actually be a book. Uh, and I've just been absolutely thrilled at the at the reception uh, to date, particularly be, with younger people, you know, young adults are really, were really, uh, attracted to this book, which was not the original young. Well, I guess it was cause I, you know, <laughs> yeah, you wrote it for your kids. kids. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all my, it's all kids. Yeah. yeah right. We're all kids. <laughs> not, not, not kids, but young adults. And, right. uh, and the other thing where it's really resonated, uh, uh, the most are with women. And I suppose that's because they're the only ones actually reading it. <laughs> us guys, you know, you get a book and thumb through it and set yeah. it aside, and then eventually it makes its way to the bookshelf.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, my wife and I have this, have this deal between us that we can once a year mandate a book that the, that the other has to read. And, uh, and then that way it kind of keeps us having the same dialogue about something. And, and if it's mandated, we're more likely to read it, I think.
1: <laughs> that, that actually happened to me with Purpose Driven Life. Yeah, um, I had had it with Christian books, and she propped it up on my. She really made me read it. The first sentence, first chapter, it's not about you. Mm. That was a dinger. Mm. And uh, I'm I've subsequently become really good friends with Rick Warren. He wrote the foreword to this book. And, yeah, I saw that. And I told him, I said, you know, with your book, you could have just ended it right there. Just had the recipe blank pages. <laughs> <laughs> People are buying this book, the Purpose Driven Life, and. The answer is, the purpose of your life is not about you. That's a huge sentence. It,
0: that's a it sure sentence. is. It sure is. And, and it's similar to, can God change a jerk? Because I think that that's <laughs> what it takes to get us off ourselves, right? <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Larry, we have a new sponsor for our podcast, and I know you know these guys really well. Yeah, I sure do, Armin. We're so
0: honored to have the National Coalition of Ministries to Men as our sponsor for this episode. Now, I've been a member of that organization for nearly 15 years, and I had the honor to serve as its president for the last six years. It's a coalition of over 200 member organizations all committed to discipling men. And, Armin, as you know, we're all called to make disciples. That's right.
2: And the guys I talk to that lead disciple-making ministries talk about how important yet difficult of a task it can be because they have to deal with people like me. (laughs) And me.
0: Yeah, you know, it sure is, Armin. And that's why NCMM was formed by leaders in the men's movement 20 years ago, because they needed to encourage, strengthen and share ideas between themselves. Now, they have a big event coming up in November, and it's their national gathering in Nashville on November 13th through the 15th. And this really promises to be
2: one of their best. Yeah, it looks amazing. For some of you, your bold idea may be to disciple men. And if it is, then you should definitely check it out. Learn more about the National Coalition of Ministries to Men by going to ncmm.org.
0: So what is the big takeaway from this book that you want uh, your readers to really come back, come out with?
1: You know, I talk about a number of topics. I, I think the one that is closest to my heart is the difference between religion and following Jesus. Uh, because I think there are a lot of people who go to church, consider themselves Christians, um, and a lot of people who have left the church. And a lot of people are angry at the church. And what I remind them is that is that all the reasons that people attack the church... Leave the church, forget their faith, walk away is almost always because of an experience with a person uh, it 's not jesus mm-hmm. and it 's more often than not hypocrisy and so I, I I remind people that that the only thing that made Jesus furious, you know tipping tables over furious was hypocrisy mm-hmm. uh, and millstone around necks i mean he was i mean that 's when he really lost it. It was, it was due to hypocrisy of people, and in particular, religious leaders, because it sets everything so far back. It gives everybody an excuse, see, I told you so, they're all a bunch of phonies, and, mm-hmm. uh, but Jesus but Jesus isn't. And, and I found, particularly in Africa, working with government leaders, heads of state, the difference between saying I'm a Christian and saying I'm a follower of Jesus, it, you, you honestly, you can't imagine the difference. It, it, it's absolutely astounding.
0: When you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, and not take us too far backwards in our interview because I want to talk more about your book. But when you were meeting the heads of state and the leaders in Africa, how many did you find were believers versus Christians?
1: I'll give you a quick example. I met with President Paul Kagame in Rwanda uh, with Senator Dernberger. And in the conversation, uh, we were shortly after the genocide, and I asked the president, what role did the church have in the rebuilding of his country? And I saw the military guerrilla leader, I mean, he was furious, pounded the table and said, none. You know, and Dave gave me a little kick underneath the table. <laughs> and uh, it, was a, it was, you know, maybe a few minutes later after talking about socioeconomic something or other, I said, well, Mr. President, do you think that there's a role for Jesus in the reconciliation of your country? And I got a pretty good kick after that. <laughs> the reaction was totally different. He sat back in his chair with his hands folded across his chest, big smile on his face, and he said, well, of course there's a role for Jesus. If, if the people in my country had been following Jesus, the genocide would never have happened. Mm-hmm. And I find that a lot of times with these leaders, particularly... Uh, I had a similar uh, experience with the President of Mauritania, the, the Islamic Republic of Mauritania, met with him privately and asked if we could talk about Jesus, and he, the, the ambassador almost threw up. <laughs> the ambassador almost had a heart attack, and, uh, and refused at first to translate, and the President said, I, I, I can't imagine anything I would rather talk to you about than Jesus. And, and everybody talks about the differences uh, of our religions. Nobody talks about what we have uh, in common. It, mm. was, it was phenomenal. Huh. Uh, I've, uh, in my travels all across Africa, the world, actually, I don't have never found anyone against Jesus. There are plenty of people against the church or plenty of people against Christianity. Nobody is against Jesus. i huh. have to find one.
2: Huh. Ward, when I was at the National Prayer Breakfast with you a few years ago, there was a really interesting conversation you had with our really small group. There's probably a handful of us in the room and the topic of unity was being discussed. And, um, you walked in and you started having this conversation with us. And I, I think someone was basically saying, unless, unless everyone is a Christian, we can't be united. And then you started asking a series of questions, which I've been hoping to ask you again, because I, I've been trying to remember it because it was that significant where you started saying, so, so you're telling me if we're all Christians and we'll all be united, and then you said, "Okay, well, what kind of Christian? Do you do you remember what I'm talking about at all here?" Before I keep you going, no,
1: I do, and it was actually it was quite a it was quite a diverse group. I mean, there were, if if it's the same group I'm thinking about, there there were a number of Muslims.
2: Yes, uh, Somali Muslim. There was and, yeah, was, Muslim. there were people
1: from all over, and and you know the purpose of the prayer breakfast, the national and the state is to present Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus it's 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 not a Christian breakfast. It's it's based on the principles and precepts of Jesus. So any everyone's welcome uh and everybody has a different perspective on Jesus, right? So, you know, from Islam, he's regarded as a prophet. I mean, an amazing prophet, but a prophet. <laughs> it was great The President of Mauritania told me, he said, you know, we have so much to agree on, but you know, when it gets to this three thing, that's where we have a problem. <laughs> and he's actually laughing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we have, you know, we have one God, we can only have one, so this Trinity thing really trips us up. Mm-hmm. But it was in a very light, very understanding, very open way. And as I explain to, to groups, is that that is that you know Jesus wasn't a Republican, he he wasn't a Democrat, and it comes to the shock of many in this country, he was not an American, mm-hmm. uh, and he was not a Christian. He was Jewish, mm-hmm. and he never converted from from being a Jew to being a Christian. He was a he was he's a rabbi teacher. So that that as starters. Puts, helps get him outside of what I call a box um, is to say there's there is a Christian Jesus. There are all sorts of Jesus, and and people have asked me. They say, "Well, is Jesus the only way to God?" And my answer is, "Yes, the the only way to God is through Jesus." I'm about half of the people have a mad or sad look on their face, and. As I tell him, I I believe that Jesus has seven billion strategies for making Himself known to people, mm. <clears throat> and I think oftentimes we focus on well, I'll put it this way, you know, people say, "Do do, do you have to believe in Jesus to?" Go to heaven <laughs> I love my friend's answer he says you know i don't know that's a management decision I'm in sales <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the, the the fact of the matter is I believe that Jesus is my he is my he saved my life he's my Lord and Savior he's the path how how Jesus interacts with a 12 year old Hindu child in India, I have no idea it's, I, I believe it's a mystery and 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 I think it's a huge. This this whole thing is a huge mystery. That's that when we when we see God face to face, it's all going to make perfect sense. Mm-hmm.
2: That's amazing. So uh, tail end of this, so let's go to the tail end of your book in chapter thirteen, entitled "Alienation." You mentioned the world's greatest problem. Can you share with us what is it and how is it keeping them struggling financially?
1: Well, I think the the world's greatest problem is alienation, and uh, we're alienated in so many different ways now. Uh, we're alienated as Americans. Um, we're further away from each other uh, than we've ever been. We're we're alienated uh, economically. Uh, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. They're becoming more alienated in uh, culturally. We're getting more alienated from a religious perspective. Uh, we're really, there are all these divisions um, that are becoming uh, greater and greater. And the result of that, unfortunately, is people aren't even talking to one another. Uh, so people will have dinner parties with people that just have the same you know, political or religious views that they do. So the interaction, which is how I believe we grow, I tell all my Republican friends they have to start reading the New York Times, and all my Democrat friends they have to start reading the or the Wall Street Journal, just to get different perspectives. Um, but uh, the, the the fact of the matter is <clears throat> is that uh, Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. I've seen so many times people that are just so at odds with each other that get together with a little timeout, like this group in the Senate, to just pray with one another, share their lives with one another. All the agendas are left at the door around, uh, again, what Jesus said. Uh, and what emerges from that uh, is true unity. You know, if you recall, the last prayer Jesus prayed was for unity. They, they prayed that they would all be one. And I puzzled with that. I said, why, That's a, you know, that came at a pretty important time uh towards the end of his life why would he say that and he finishes it up by saying so so that they they will know they will know me by their love and uh i think it's just i think it's true just the opposite is they won't know jesus by our alienation i don't know if that if that answers your question i hope it does
2: mm-hmm. it certainly does so tell me this who should read this book and why
1: uh, I think jerk should read it for sure uh, I think that I think that people who are where it has really resonated are people I, I thought all these problems that I write about I write it in first person uh, I don't like to be preached to you know a lot of these self-help quote self-help and 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 faith-based books. You know, I read them, and it's like the author. If I'm more like the author, I'd be a better person. <laughs> I just don't like it. <laughs> so I, I just this is me. I just tell about my story, my struggles, uh, some of the some of the answers that I have without preaching at all. And what I've found is that is that uh, I shouldn't say to my delight. to my surprise, and I guess comfort a bit, is that everybody's got these problems and they're identifying with them but nobody's really talking about these in an open way they're kind of keeping them inside you know thoughts about ego and self promotion and am i you know even 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 doing the work in africa am i am i really doing that for the poor or am i doing it to make myself feel better or to puff myself up you know in other people's eyes you know those are all questions that i think we have to we have to ask ourselves in order to in order to 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 be honest with ourselves, so it's a it's a it, they're very very candid reflections um, uh, on topics that that aren't asked often. So uh, it's been very very gratifying to me. What I what I tell people, uh, one of the endorsers was John Bozeman, senator from Arkansas, a very close friend of mine. We were having dinner, and he said, "You know, you asked me to endorse the book, so just write out whatever you want, and I'll sign it." <laughs> just started laughing. I said. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I asked. Yeah, don't <laughs> even think about it again. Yeah. And he said, well, I got to tell you, I picked up your book. I had no intention of reading it. And I read the introduction and I ended up reading the whole thing. <laughs> I said, how about that for an endorsement? <laughs> it's, it's still one of my favorites.
0: That's awesome. So, yeah. All right, Ward, what's next? What's your next bold idea?
1: My next bold idea is in Eastern Congo. Uh, in probably one of the poorest places, that's that is also affected by <clears throat> a lot of random violence. It's kind of hell on earth. <clears throat> and through the uh, American Refugee Committee and United States you know, USAID, uh, we did a private-public partnership where we're actually uh, building infrastructure. These clinics, uh, we call them zones. It's called the Asili Enterprise Zone. Where we have a we have a world class clinic, we have water that compares to Fiji water in terms of quality, and it's built on a for profit business uh, platform, mm. uh, so that the so that the infrastructure is donated. We find a local entrepreneur then to uh, take over the franchise, uh, the operating rights of the franchise, and the good can continue to go forever. Mm. Because with but what I'm seeing is huge donor fatigue, where it's just. Money after money after money, and you say, "Well, when's that going to end?" In this case, we 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 have foundations and families that donate the capital expenses. After three years, it's an operating business that'll go forever with no more donations. Mm. So, if if it works, and it is so far, we've got four of these zones, each treating up to about twenty-five thousand people. Six more planned in Goma around Goma. It'll it'll change, that will actually change uh, the way non-profits work. Yeah,
0: I, I love that. I love the idea of making that sustainable. How can mm-hmm. our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about your book? Uh, I can be
1: reached at, at war, word at biggerthanmebook.com.
0: That's your email address and the, okay. the, the uh, website is biggerthanme.com. We'll have the links to that in our show notes as well. Ward, want to thank you for taking time today to be on our show.
1: Gosh, I really, I really, I enjoyed myself. It was really fun talking with you. Well, too. great to talk to you as well, <laughs> Ward.
2: <laughs> Ward, thank you for being with us. We sincerely appreciate it. You are one of my heroes, and uh, you have no idea what honor it is to be able to just hear your full story and have you share your insights with us. So, thank you again.
1: I really, I really appreciate taking a chance on me, especially with this whole Skype format. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. great. This is fun. This is great.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Well, I mean, that was a great conversation, I think, with Ward.
2: I love Ward. So I am uh, I mean, I already said this, but I met him at the National Prayer Breakfast. Mm-hmm. And um, when I first looked at him, <laughs> I'll be honest, I thought, oh, you're one of those business guys. Whatever judgments that I made <laughs> to go with that. And I had talked to him. And uh, before I even talked to him, I watched him talk to other people. And I watched the way that he carried himself. And I watched the way the conversations went just because he was just around me enough to even listen to those conversations. And he, the way he asked questions even about the people that he was talking to, he was genuinely curious about who they were. Mm. He, didn't, he didn't do the typical question, so what do you do? I never heard him say that once. Mm. He he always asked like identity type questions. Mm. Even if people struggled with it, he helped them through the conversation. He was just one of those guys who genuinely cared about who you were. And when I had a conversation with him, it was the exact same thing. And um, he's just one of those people who is not just faking the funk for some kind of influence. I mean, he's he's genuinely a transformed guy and you can still sometimes see the residue of old cocky business guy. Sure, of course. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So we all have residue, right? But it's, yeah. it, it's so funny because it's appealing mm. now, you know, like mm-hmm. you're drawn to him. You know, he could be something different, entirely different, but he chooses to every single day be this man that he is today, you know? And this, this, humanitarian hearted, I love the unlovable fill in the blank, right? He, he genuinely
0: is that guy. Well, just that chapter title, how, how God, you know, can God change a jerk? You yeah. Know, um, it, it really kind of reflects, you know, the self-awareness and, you know, his, yeah. his, and really from a humble position. I, I love that about him. And for a guy who's accomplished as much as he has um, to have that experience of real transformation um, yeah, we don't often see it happen quite as dramatically as as Ward described, or at least I. I- haven't seen it a lot that way, you right. know. You, usually, it's it's not like over five weeks you come back, you know, you're a totally different person, <laughs> which is you really kind of fascinates me in that regard. And I know that there are people that have these, you know, deep encounters with Jesus, and they, you know, they change overnight. Yeah, um, and I know that happens. I, I think I'm more of an oozer than a banger when I had my transformation. You know, it was long, <laughs> over a long period of time, and that's probably because you know I'm I'm, I'm harder to give up the steering wheel than, <laughs> than you know, we talk about, right? Right. So it's like prying my fingers off. But um, I really enjoyed that uh, that thing. You know, yeah. here's what stood out for me. Um, here's a guy who went, went to Africa, and and he kept saying this word: "Make it real for them. Make it real. Make mm-hmm. it real." And what I uh, I saw in that is that you know, unless we expose ourselves yeah. to different aspects, I mean, he said, I mean, I was in a different group. You know, I wasn't like comfortable with this circle of people, not used to them um and they're different. And I was in this different place and in uh, in just seeing different things created an awareness that he didn't have before, you know, right. that he was isolated from. And I think that's true for each of us is that we all get inside of our bubbles, and I know I do, I get inside my comfort zone. Yep. And I think if God wants to do a bold thing, here's a clear case study of a guy who discovered the some of the answers you know that he was looking for in in his 40s he discovered it by going to someplace different with different people than he normally deals with and he saw it in fact because he got outside of this comfort zone that we often live in
2: yeah right on i think it's one of those critical things that people need to do um there's a quote that's famous in africa by victor hugo that says those who do not weep do not see. And it's it's one of those things where I, I'll even say this. I won't even go down the tangent I was about to go down. Even if it's the most selfish thing in the world for you to go and visit a place like the destitute places in Africa, you will never know the opportunities that you have that are in the palm of your hands unless you go to a place that doesn't have the same opportunities that you do. I meet so many people that have so many limiting beliefs and have so many limiting ideas about who they are and what they can do or what they can't do. I myself included in that. But until you go play visit places like certain areas in Africa, you have no idea what this world is like. You have no idea what you're capable of. You have no idea how many opportunities are available to you, and you have no idea who you can truly become until you see the bottom and the top and i think we spend so much time focusing on the top places that we want to get to oh my
0: god yeah
2: that, that we, com- we we constantly look at our lives as insignificant or too small or have not arrived or success is not mine but you've no there's so much more there's so much to see there's so much to experience and places like africa will literally open your eyes to things that you didn't even know were possible to and again, even if it's completely selfish, I still highly recommend go to a place like, and it's not just Africa; it's all over the world.
0: Yeah, you can do it anywhere, actually, because if you change the, I think what you're getting at here, I mean, is a really important point. If you change your paradigm from wh- where can I get to where can I give, yeah, then your eyes start seeing different things. Right. You know, if we're only looking for okay, here's the stuff I want in my life. I want the success. I want this. You know. Then we're looking for different people. We're wanting to connect into social circles where we can get something. right. But if we say, "Where can I give? Mm-hmm. Where can I deploy myself in the in what God has given me and and then it draws us to to maybe even just seeing the people around us in a different way, right. Because, I mean, when you, you know, maybe our own Africa is right down the street or absolutely. right across the table yeah, or right anywhere. in your very own home.
2: Absolutely. Right. But it, it, it's this thing where it eliminates the scarcity uh, mentality that you have. Right. Like you think you're, you're dealing with all the scarcity around you because you're not in the top one percent, because you're not a millionaire, because you're not whatever. But you forget that there is. People that have so much less than you, right? Mm -hmm. But the scarcity mentality always puts you in a position where you need to receive something. Mm -hmm. And that, that mentality that constantly makes you feel like you have to receive something makes you feel like you don't have anything to give. It makes you feel like you're helpless. It makes you feel like you're a charity case. But until you see the people that need to receive from you, you don't even know how powerful you can be. You don't know how influential you can be. You don't know how much... Effort and impact that you can make and draw out of people. I mean, it's it's amazing the things that happen to you. It is revelational for pe- rev- revolutionary. <laughs> sorry for people who experience those types of experiences because you literally have an actual paradigm shift. You don't just talk about it. You don't try to force it. It just happens. But it's it doesn't happen if you don't put yourself in the places that Ward has put himself. And I, I think he's one of the greatest uh, case studies that you could ever have.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting and a bit maybe ironic, but maybe, maybe not quite so, but the way Ward described it was he had, you know, all the stuff that he needed. Yeah. So chasing down the, what can I get yeah. kind of left with still a longing. Mm-hmm. He still had a, I want to receive something. I wasn't quite sure what it was. And what he found was an answer to that yep.
2: when he went to Africa. Yeah, absolutely. And by now he's got more contentment, more passion, more zeal than yeah. he's ever had.
0: Yeah, because Jesus showed up and made himself real in the lives of people there and just their plight and how he could give to them and make a difference. Wow. that To me, that's inspiring. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm walking away very inspired by this conversation and uh, just to have my eyes on for people that are uh, in need that I can give to rather than uh, just looking at people or circumstances or places where I can get something. Well, we hope that this show has inspired you as well. We'd love for you to pick up uh, Ward's new book. Uh, you'll find links to all that in our show notes at boldidea podcast slash forty two. Love for you to leave a comment for us there or on our social media or at our show line at six one two five six eight idea six one two five, six, eight, four, three, three, two. We always love it when you review our show, boldideapodcast.com slash review. We'll show you how to do that on either iTunes or Stitcher. And boy, it really means a lot to us when you do. So take a moment. If you've been listening to our episodes for a while and you enjoy what you hear, would you leave us a review? It does help increase the visibility of this show for others. And of course, it always helps when you tell your friends about our program as well. So this is Larry Gates. And I mean, until next week, we say adieu and go get them. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.